Thanks for bringing the church into this room this morning. We have a, a special time of worship today. If you're a guest with us, thanks for worshiping with us today. Our family is thrilled to have you. This is not a typical experience for us. I want to encourage you to be back next week. We're going to begin series through the book of Ruth. I want to encourage you to begin to read the book of Ruth. Very short, very important book in, in the life of believers. Today, uh, as we worship, we want to be mindful of what we're trying to get back to, the heart of worship. During our time of worship, we have an opportunity to receive tithes and offerings. Uh, when we do that, we want your prayer request. So there's a blue card in front of you. Make sure that you fill that out and turn in those prayer requests so we can be praying for you this week. Yes, there's also an orange card there, and we would very much like to thank you for worshiping with us. So if you don't mind, fill that out and head to Guest Connects right in the uh, middle of the lobby there uh, as you're leaving this morning. Or just make your way out there if that's not your usual passageway of exit. And, and make sure you stop by so we can thank you for worshiping with us. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and, uh, and we're going to begin a time of, of reflection and worship. And we're going to dig into God's Word. So let's pray. Father, we come into this place today because this is your day. It's the Lord's day. And this is when you have prescribed for your, your people to gather and to worship you. Worship is not just song. It's, it's, it's praise. It's preaching. It's prayer. It's encouragement from the body to one another. So would you today, Lord, call us back to a heart of worship? I can think of many times uh, around the dinner table with family and friends when there was something wonderful happening, but my mind and heart was occupied with, with something else, and I missed that moment. Lord, I pray today that we would learn to lean in, to, Lord, experience the greatness of your goodness to us. Oh, God, would you today renew in us a heart of worship? We come to you, Lord you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Elizabeth's going to come and read for us our text for this morning, verses 8 through 10. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. This is the portion of Scripture directly after the fall. Adam and Eve are still in the garden, but they have sinned against God. And this is the uh, immediate uh, action that took place after that. So Elizabeth, read for that for Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Word of God, uh, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Elizabeth. So what we see here is the situation that we now live in. Uh, God and His grace, uh, wanting to be with us, made us worshipers. And here's something that's very important to understand about yourself, about all of us. We're going to worship. We've been made by God to worship, to, to subjugate ourselves to something or someone that we draw our identity from and that defines our purpose. What we see happening here is what was intended for the heart of worship and what has gone wrong. See, worship is, is made by God to be this intimate encounter. This time where, where God reveals himself to us and, and we reveal ourselves to God. I love how it describes this moment. Look at verse 8. He says, He came during the cool of the day. Uh, my wife and I, Carrie, we walk during the cool of the day. 
And there, there's, there's something very sacred that happens in that time when we're walking together. Uh, Charlie's running and we're trying to get him from, from rolling around in dead birds. I don't know why animals do this. It drives me crazy. <laughs> other than that, we're able to focus on each other and to talk. And sometimes it's a very intense conversation. Sometimes it's very light. Sometimes it, it, it's just sort of listening and just being together. And so it is in worship. Sometimes it's content heavy. Uh, sometimes it's, it's us listening. I cannot tell you how many Sundays when I, when I stop singing just to hear you sing. Just to, just to be in the presence of God's people and to hear all these voices that believe the things that we say we believe. It encourages my heart. And there's those moments of quiet and there's times of prayer and reflection. And all of this is a part of worship and it's meant to be intimate. It's not meant to be something we do to check off a list. It's meant to be this intimate experience between us and God. And we're to come before God vulnerably. God came and revealed himself to Adam and Eve. And they were not able to come to him. They were not, they were not in a condition where they could come before the Almighty because they had sinned. And so now there was shame. We have in our culture now a desire to overcome shame with the wrong strategy. Instead of calling sin, sin, and, and coming to God and repenting, what our culture is encouraging us to do is to change the definition of sin. And so what our society has done is basically said, okay, okay, we're going to change the rules. And here's how they've done it. There's three steps to this. And it happens in all societies sooner or later when God is banned. First thing they say is, okay, let's take what was unacceptable and let's make it acceptable. Step two, let's celebrate what was once unacceptable and is now acceptable. Let's celebrate it and let's cheer it on. Step three, attack the people who will not accept and celebrate what was once unacceptable and now is acceptable. Isn't that what's happening in our society today? And so where that leaves us, though, is in a problematic place because we can't come before God rightly because we can't be vulnerable. See, we have to say, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just that the rules are wrong. It's just that everyone else is wrong. It's just, I'm fine. When God comes and He reveals Himself to us, and He is vulnerable with us, we are either going to have to come before Him vulnerably or we've got to go and hide behind our own fig leaves, behind our own creations of reality that will never satisfy the longing of our heart. When we come to God in worship, the only right emotional response is awe and gratitude. If after leaving worship you do not feel awe and gratitude, you've missed it. It may very well be that it wasn't biblical worship. And if it's not biblical worship, if it's just basically human worship, there's a chance that you won't leave feeling a sense of awe and gratitude. You may walk out thinking, yep, I'm as good as I thought I was. Let's get on to the next thing. That's not biblical worship. Biblical worship creates a high view of God. Not a low view of man. A high view of God. And it leaves us in awe of Him, grateful for His grace. So when we come to worship, we need to come expectantly. We're to come intimately, we're to come vulnerably, but then we, we've got to come with an expectation. Uh, verse 9, there's a curious question there. Look at that. God says, where are you? He wasn't asking a geographical question. God is all-knowing. He knew exactly where He was. 
Why did he ask the question? It wasn't so that, that God could discover information. He was asking Adam a very deeply spiritual question. Where are you, old man? Where are you in relation to me? Where are you in this world right now? What have you done? And what we need to know is that when we come in the presence of God, this God who does not change, He is going to call us to a change, to a response. He's going to call us to deal with truth. And we need to expect that we're going to have to think differently, we're going to be left to feel differently, that we're going to be left to live differently. The God who does not change calls us to see Him as He is, to exalt Him, to glory in Him. This morning as we sing, I exalt Thee, this is intended to give us a high view of God. As we do that, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings and prayer requests. And let me tell you why we do this. This is a part of worship for us. This is not a time to pay the bills. This is a time to do what we will do if we are truly saints of God in heaven one day. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 says that the saints will have received crowns based upon the works they've done of righteousness. And then they will, in verse 10 it says, they, will, they brought their crowns and they laid them before God and they said, you are worthy to receive all glory and honor and power. How silly would it be for someone in heaven to say, no way, God, I earned this crown. No way, I want to save this. I might need this later. I don't know. I want to do something else with this crown. I think the crown looks good on my head. I'd like to have it. A big part of worship is coming to God and saying, Lord, everything that I have is good is yours. And I want to present this to you, this tithe, this offering, because you are worthy of all glory and honor. And I want to put you first in everything in my life. I want to submit these prayer requests because I know that I can trust you with this need in my life. Lord God, I exalt you. Let's pray together as ushers come forward to receive the tithes and offerings and prayers of the people. Lord, we exalt you now by giving to your work, by putting you first, by saying that we trust you. We submit ourselves to you. We love you. We exalt you. It, it really is a simple thing to worship. It's not complicated. But we make it complicated. The fact that God is worthy of all our praise and honor, that He is awesome and awe-inspiring and so good to us. We can't help but be grateful, but many times we're not in awe. Many times we're not grateful. Because we're in a situation, the same situation that Adam and Eve created and were in. There is now an intimidation factor that's going on in our world. And sometimes worship is complicated because Adam and Eve were tempted to believe that they were God, that they were God-like, little g. And they believed the lie. And now we have this idea that we too are God, that, that we can define what is true for ourselves, and that what worship needs to be about is us, or whether we like it, or whether it makes us feel the way we want to feel, or, or things are said the way we want them to be said because it's about us. And that only reveals what's really going on wrong in our hearts because rather than coming to the one true God, we make gods of ourselves. 
Worship calls us away from that. But it can be intimidating and it can be challenging because not only are we deceived, but we have sin at work in our flesh. Even the redeemed of God, although we have a positional right position with God because of the righteousness of Christ, there's still sin at work in our flesh. And so we're, we're constantly working against that. And we can't, we can't see God anymore. So many people say, oh, I just want to see God. If God would just show himself to me. We couldn't handle it. We'd die. No, no, no. God is beyond us. And because of our sin, there, there is now limited exposure. We cannot see God, but we can see the, re- the effects of God, the reflection of God. He's like the sun. What would happen to you if the sun just appeared right now into this room? Well, it would, it would destroy us. The, the brightness and the glory and the heat would be beyond what we could handle. God is like the sun. Remember when the uh, remember when the eclipse came, right? And, and you know, this, all these advice: do not look at the sun. Whatever you do, do not look directly at the sun. I did. Who else? I can't help myself. I'm a sinner. I can't help you. Tell me not to. First thing I've been. It just makes me want to do it, right? But, you know, I, I didn't stare at it long because I, I was terrified of what would happen. This morning, I was up before the sun came up. And it was dark. It was just me and the Scriptures and, and the Lord. The sun began to rise, and I began to see everything else by that light. And see, that's what a true worshiper does. We understand that we don't live, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. And through that faith, through that sun, we see everything else by it. And when we worship, what we realize is this God has never changed The God that Adam and Eve dealt with in that garden that day is the same God you and I are dealing with today. And what He intends to do is what He did with them, is to change us. So we don't need to be intimidated. What we need to do is to be humble and willing to say, God, You are my hope. You're my only hope. My hope is that you're going to give me greater faith. My hope is you're going to change the way I live my life so that I can be wise and holy. My hope is is that you are the one true God and I don't have to depend on me because I'm a terrible God. But you are a great God. And so I'm going to trust you. Do you trust him? Is he your hope? Or are you looking to something else? You say, oh, I love Jesus, I trust Jesus, but I need fill-in-the-blank if I'm going to really be satisfied and full. Can I tell you, anything else you would put in that blank is going to fail you. And it is a dying hope. It may last for a season, it may last for a day, it may last for a year or so, maybe more. Sooner or later, it will die. It will fade, it will fail you. God will never fail you. He is the Almighty, and He is the only one worthy of our hope. Let's sing of this hope that He gives. Make sure you can sing this as a confession rightly. Is God your hope? Worship is made possible. True worship, I should say, is made possible only by the gospel of God. Go back to chapter 3, Genesis, and look at the situation that Adam and Eve were in. They were now at odds with God. And if you're at odds with God, that means you're going to be at odds with yourself. 
and you're going to be at odds with other people. So what do we see in this garden? We see a human being blaming God for his condition, blaming his wife, taking no responsibility whatsoever, and claiming to be a victim for his own actions. He is now separated from God by sin. He's broken within, which now is destroying his relationship with his wife. This is what sin does, and this is what keeps us from worshiping the one true God. But thanks be to God. God did not leave Adam and Eve in that condition, did he? No, no, God provided, even in that very moment, what we see here, look in verse 21, is the gospel. What we see happening in verse 21 is the gospel of God, the provision of God to bring salvation. Look what it says in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of, of skins and clothed them. There's three things I want you to see here that have happened. The first thing to notice is that there was a blood sacrifice made for their sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We know that the wages of sin is death. In order to deal with the seriousness of sin, what did God do? He shed blood to pay for their sin. That's how serious sin is. Notice the second thing He did. He clothed them. He clothed them so that there was no longer shame. Understand what salvation is. Salvation is not just that our sins are forgiven, but praise God, they are. Our sin, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, pays eternally for our sin, so that our sin is as far as the east is from the west as is it concerned to our soul and our connectivity with Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty. Because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus, our sin is forgiven, but salvation is more than that. God doesn't just remove the curse of sin. He gives us the blessing of righteousness. We are covered. We are clothed in Christ so that we now have a righteous standing before God. It's not just that our sin is removed. It's that we are given a righteous standing with God so that we can step out. We no longer have to depend on our own fig leaves that we can form together. We don't have to depend on our jobs or our looks or our power or our strength or our government or anything else. We can rely on God, not a man-made, a human-created thing. We can trust in what God has provided, and we can know we are forgiven by the blood of God. We are covered in the righteousness of Christ. And our enemy has been defeated. In that moment, God revealed how the enemy was going to be defeated according to the promise he had already made. God promised that he would send a male leader who would destroy the works of the devil and provide salvation through his own death. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is God cursing the devil. In this curse, we find our blessing, the Proto-Evangelion, the first announcement of the gospel of God. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now look what's going to happen. He, there is a male, there is a man, there is a human being who is going to come, who will bruise your head, he will crush your head, he will destroy the power of the devil. 
And he did that, but how? He did it by dying on the cross, but being raised on the third day. How is that pictured in this text? And you shall bruise his heel. You shall take him down, but you cannot keep him down. God took on flesh, lived a holy life, died to pay for our sins, to defeat the power of the devil. On the third day, he was raised. He is now alive. Death could not hold him. And because of the power of God over sin and death, we now have salvation. That is the gospel of God. That is the good news. That is the amazing grace of God. Do you believe it's amazing? Let's sing about it. The Bible tells us about this amazing grace. If you've been around here any amount of time, you have heard me say this. And I hope that it is burning into your brains and that you, uh, in in the worst of conditions, can utter this statement. Uh, The Bible is a single story. Understand, it is not a collection of stories and sayings. It is a single story with four parts. Creation, when God made everything in harmony. Second part, the fall, when humanity turned against God Almighty and sinned. Then there's rescue. That moment promised in Genesis 3.15 when God took on flesh and dwelled among us and came just as God promised that He would to live a holy life, to die in our place, and to be raised on the third day that we might be saved. This promise was made all the way back in Genesis 3.15. It was continuously made throughout all of the Old Testament. God kept on reminding the people, I'm coming, I'm coming. I haven't forgot you. The day is coming. I promise I'll be there. And then Jesus, in his own hometown, pulls out Isaiah and reads it and says, Today this is fulfilled in your coming. And he said, I am Messiah. I am God. I am the rescue. He told his disciples, He said, we go to Jerusalem. I will be turned over to the hands of the religious leaders and they will kill me. But on the third day, I will rise. And he did. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came. He took our place just as he promised he would. He died for our sins because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now forgiveness comes to all who believe in Him. But on the third day, just as He promised, He arose again. He is now the reigning Christ. And He is going to keep the other promise He made. He said, I will not leave you here as orphans. I'm going to send you the Helper, my Holy Spirit. But then I will return. The Holy Spirit came just as God promised He would. And now we're in the season. We're in the part of the story where Christ has come, the Spirit of God has come, and now we're living in His power, worshiping the Lord God in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, waiting for the day when Christ will return. What will that be like? Go to the end of the Bible. Go to Revelation. Go to Revelation 21. For now we see dimly. 
but soon we will see clearly when Christ returns and He makes all things new. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1, describes it. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. See that? All things will be made new. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The word sea there, that is symbolic of chaos. The chaos of sin and death is done. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, that is Jesus Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. When Christ returns, all things will be made new. But only those who have a righteous standing with God, whose sin has been pardoned, who've been covered in the righteousness of Christ, will be able to stand in the presence. This new heaven and new earth will become one reality. And if you do not have the grace of God in your life through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be exposed and expelled from this heaven. And you will be sentenced the Bible says, for all of eternity into hell. And while you are there, there will be a celebration like none that can be imagined or even described with human words. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in Revelation 22, go one more chapter over. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the other side of the river, the, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its, its fruit each month. Now, I want you to picture this. It's a city. And in that city, Christ is centered. From Christ flows living water, which we drink by grace through faith now, of which we will drink for all of eternity. And it feeds not only our souls, but the tree of life. The last time we saw the tree of life mentioned was in Genesis chapter 3. Now we see it again in Revelation 22. And now that tree is being fed by the living water. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now we, we will receive that and it will feed our soul and there will be peace. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will, need, they will need no lamp or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God will be at the center. The river of life will flow. The garden will produce life and peace, and we will be with the Lord forever. And when I say we, I mean only those who by grace, through faith in Christ alone, have trusted in His blood sacrifice have believed in Him, have been given new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, and are now living in the righteousness of Christ to the glory of God, and worship Him freely. If you cannot say that, I invite you to come and get on your knees before God today and say, Lord, save me. Some of you have been saved, but if you're honest, you're distracted. There are other things that continue to invade your heart and head and keep you from having a heart of worship. And today you need to come and talk to your God about that. And you need to say, help me. 
Help me because I think this situation is too big for you. Help me because I'm anxious. Help me because I'm scared. Help me because I'm angry. Ask for God's help. He is your God and He loves you. He will guide you. And come and pray for those who are lost in sin and darkness. Come and pray for your neighbors and your friends and your enemies who hurt you. And ask God to give them peace. The peace that we will one day experience for all of eternity. We can taste it now. And there can be a goodness. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, I pray for some who now need to come and to confess their sin. Who need to come and to repent of, of making you small in themselves and their situations big. Who need to come and to pray for those who stand in danger of, of hell and a life of darkness and pain and sin and brokenness. Father, we know you are going to make all things new. Jesus, we anticipate your return. Spirit, we delight in the strength and the feeling of your power now that allows us to know this world is not our home. We are only passing through. This revelation is our hope. Lord, hear the prayers of those who come to repent, who come to pray for your provision. We worship you, our revelation, our God, our Almighty. The spirit of prayer, come and pray as we sing together.